Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden, and as usual, it's my joy to be on the air. I had a great weekend. I mean, I hope you did. I mean, uh, it's a change of pace in the weather now. I mean, what, it was 70-something uh, on Saturday and almost 80 on uh, Friday, something like that. So um, anyway, it's it's a great change in the weather today. And, you know, maybe, of course, if you stick around uh, in, in Seattle, the weather will always change. And I'll never leave my, I never, I always, I should say, I always have a sweater in my car, <laughs> no matter what season it is. You just never know how things are going to happen how things are gonna happen here. And the weather does change fast, not only here in Seattle, but across the country. I guess it's gonna be coming on a little later. It's from Albuquerque. Uh, I'm so delighted to be talking with him uh, about the consent decree and uh, ending of the consent decree there filing in the court like they did here. Uh, and that, uh, uh, so my guess, uh, so in the first, for the first few uh, uh, segment, for this segment, I uh, you just uh, be listening to me and I'm excited to be on the air. I just want to thank my uh, to, uh, my uh, supporters right now, and also the uh, sponsor, uh, Virtues uh, Healing Circle, I, 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 uh, for healing for uh, for sponsoring Mother's uh, Justice Show, and uh, and we do need some healing, don't we? Absolutely. So I want to talk about my Saturday event. I was at Fast Fathers and Sons Together. I was missing this Wilmore event. I uh, and uh, it's a wonderful nonprofit. They're doing wonderful young uh, with the young people. Uh, and this uh, program is for uh, well, it's a lot of boys without uh, fathers in the home. Uh, and uh, we know uh, throughout time that fathers are absolutely necessary for kids to get here and wait. In in the beginning, they're necessary, but they're also necessary at every juncture of a of, of a child's life. Uh, and they had free barbers down there, and one lady was braiding. Uh, and uh, it was so well attended. This year, last year was outside. This year was inside at Rainier Beach Community Center uh, and uh, the beach. <laughs> I had a lot of people from that area. Of course, I don't live in that area, but I live in Seattle. And so I don't know where that area is. And I have lived south before, a little south of Rainier Beach. But um, it was a wonderful event. Uh, it was well, so it was well attended. There was a lot of young people. And a lot of people came in to take advantage of the, uh, of, of the free haircuts. I uh, a lot of the barbers, and I was surprised that one of the uh, barbers was a uh, was a police officer. I didn't know that. So, and then you had the SPD had a booth. Uh, Mothers for Police Accountability. I had a booth, and the Virtues Healing Circle. And I, uh, I had a booth. Uh, I mean, we shared a table, and we shared the Virtues cards with people who came by, and they took a picture of the card, and we took a picture, and uh, we talked about the Virtues cards because because one of the things I know that uh, that's what's missing in the world right now is a cleric can call to people to stand up to be different. And, and, and to choose, uh, choose another way of life. And that goodness is part of that. And uh, being understanding and kindness. So the virtues help us to remember who we are. Because right now we're having a hard time. And that's what this program was about on Saturday. Uh, the chief was there and other, uh, other cadet, uh, all the cadets uh, who's getting ready to go through the academy. Uh, and uh, they were talking about, uh, I mean, uh, we had a healing circle. And actually, it wasn't really, a, it just wasn't a really a healing circle, but it was a, a circle that people can go sit in and to be heard. I mean, and then just to say who they are, who they are, who they are, who they are, and what they were there, and what they represented. And some people had short stories, and other people had long stories. It was a, it was a, it was a young uh, elderly man, now 81 years old, and he's a golfer. Uh, and his, his whole idea right now is to, um, is to just to, um, I getting young kids in, involved with golfing because he says nobody gets hurt on the golf course because nobody's ever put down a golf course a, a golf a cane, a, cane a, a stick to go pick up a gun and so and he talked about his story he he's had a you know a journey to get to where he is and and he's eighty one and it's like wow sometimes people think that they uh, tell us that they you know that we should just go sit, sit home I mean after after you know we've been doing things for a long for a time and. And he's still going. And I said, wow, this is so interesting that this is going on. But uh, it was so many uh, 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 vendors there. City Light was there. SPD was there. Uh, Mothers Against Gun Violence was there. Uh, and then we had a great talk. Uh, and I talked to them because they got they got that started after the Sandy Hook event uh, when the European, when all those uh, kids got killed up in uh, up in Connecticut. And, uh, and they, one lady told me, I asked him about that. I said, well, you didn't get involved when other kids was getting killed. And, they, and one lady said, yeah, she said she, she recognized that. And uh, she said, she's sorry that they didn't have the, 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 fourth, uh, the forethought to be involved with, uh, 
with violence in America before it uh, hit home on their front steps. So, and maybe that's how the world is. Maybe we don't get involved with things before we have a, a self-interest in it. And so I guess everything is self-interest on some level. And I, but uh, but it, like I keep talking about it because I had such a great time. They had Milton uh, and Ashley McGirt was there. She does the uh, the mental health, uh, uh, the, the counseling, uh, the mental health fund. Uh, and she brought young people with her. And um, so it's a lot going on in this city, especially with young people. I personally don't have any real young children uh, at my disposal right now. Uh, my youngest grand, my, uh, my second oldest grandson, he's 17, he's at Franklin uh, and he's a junior. So he, he has his, uh, his schedule is all kind of booked up and he works two jobs. <laughs> and I can't call him little Chikundi anymore because he's taller than his father, that's Chikundi's son. Most people know that Chikundi all the Salisbury kids are mine. Chikundi Salisbury with um, uh, with uh, he works for Parks, but they also have C, C Spot Media. And then I have Tundi Salisbury. Uh, he's a, a master optician, uh, and he makes sunglasses. I just like his mother, just like I did. Uh, I, and opticians are people who fill the prescription. So we are pharmacists for eyeglasses. That's what an optician is. Uh, and Tundi is a master optician. That what he does. He's he's great. You need a pair of eyeglasses. Make sure you give him a call. And then uh, my youngest son is uh, tuned, uh, it's uh, Omai Salisbury with Converge Media. And everybody in Seattle has heard about Converge Media and all across the country. It's some great documentaries. It got to me, I mean, so I, uh, a couple of years ago, been nominated for an Emmy again this year. So uh, they're doing a lot of good work. Trey is on the morning show now. It's not called the morning show anymore. It's called the day with Trey. Um, and tomorrow, I give a shout out to my youngest granddaughter. Her name is Victoria. Uh, she's going to be, I think, 12 tomorrow. It might be 13. I'm not quite sure. She lives in Houston. I've seen her a couple of times. She comes up here. She's been up here last summer. Beautiful little girl. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And my oldest granddaughter, occasionally, uh, she's knocking on the door at 30. Not quite there yet, but uh, she's my oldest granddaughter. Oh, and while I'm talking about family updates, I might as well say my young, my oldest I. Uh, my oldest grandson is graduating from, from Loyola uh, University in Chicago uh, on the 11th. And then ISIS is finishing up her uh, master's program at uh, uh, Veterinarian Science uh, down at Tuskegee. So, wow, I have a lot going on here. There's this really going on. Um, and also, uh, the other thing I want to just talk about just a little bit on um, changing the subject is that we have a podcast, so make sure you check it out. It's on 1150 AM KKNW, and make sure you uh, make sure you tell your friends about it and, and subscribe for it, okay? So I mean, I guess that's the modern thing to do is have a podcast, and so I'm just trying to keep up. Hey, I can't keep up with the young people. I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, but I, I, well, I'm not trying to, I'm going at my own pace. Why should I try to keep up? I mean, I'm just trying to be current and do the things I can. I then reached out to, Chicago, uh, to Akron, Ohio. I mean, I'm still trying to get somebody on the show from Akron, Ohio, to talk about the Jalen uh, Walker case uh, uh, that uh, young, this young man uh, had um, 46 uh, uh, shots uh, that, that hit his body. We only know it takes one bullet to kill. But I guess the police officers was just having a great time. Uh, just like the people there in Memphis was there uh, with, uh, with, the, with, with the young man there in, in, uh, in Memphis. So. Uh, uh, the, the, the grand jury uh, did not bring any charges. I don't know if the DOJ is making up its mind to go there or not. Um, and so the, once again, uh, it's the same scenario. It absolutely is the same scenario. And uh, it's been going on for many, many years now. And uh, I mean, people say defund the police, I can understand that. And then you get what you have in Seattle when you don't have enough police officers. I mean, I, I was talking to a mother whose son was uh, who was murdered uh, uh, on Mother's Day in her arms, and he died in her arms. So she'll be on my show uh, uh, this uh, this month also, and talk about the lack of activity she's getting on her case. I mean, uh, she can't even get a call back from the detectives, and that's just unacceptable. Uh, and, and it really is. But but what has happened is that uh, the community is paying a great price for all our movements here. And one of the backlash, we've had a lot of officers quit. Some went to other departments. Some we left with good riddance, and some probably might still have been arrested for some of the things that they did, and they never did. There was never did any uh, any real activity or justice uh, for these people uh, who've been harmed. But one of the things that that um, I know is that uh, we have not evolved to have a society without police. I mean, we can talk about evolving, but uh, we have not gotten to that uh, to that level yet, and we not have we have not been able to absolutely 
uh, iron out the what constitutional police, we know what constitutional policing is, but uh, we have not been able to implement it almost in those cities. Um, and I know you have a lot of places where uh, they're taking some of the responsibilities from the police officer, and, and I, I can understand that. Uh, and, some of, and some of those cities, and some of this happened here in Seattle. The one I really did object to was removing the 911 call center out. It was there for, for a purpose and they, and it fitted together well. I mean, the people there had uh, lots of experience of, of, uh, of it, uh, uh, dispatching 911 calls and all of that so is different now. And it takes a long time to, to build up to a capacity of, uh, of some kind of proficiency. And I think that when people change things and throw out the baby with the bathwater, uh, then things happen. I saw, I saw a clip the other day where somebody tweeted out that I guess in the early 1900s and uh, 19 and last century, there was a train that went from Seattle to um, uh, to um, to Everett, and they canceled that. They got rid of it, took up the tracks, and now they're trying to build transportation someplace else. So sometimes, uh, sometimes people who think that they know better for the future, it's actually making a mistake. But one of the things I know that I know that we're not making a mistake is that black people are tired. We're absolutely tired of the violence. I mean, this, I mean, we've known no peace in 400 years and most of the violence against us is unprovoked. I mean, now we have our own situations in the, in the community and I'm gonna talk about that in a few minutes. But uh, this other stuff, I mean, you can't go to the grocery store. Where can we go? I mean, as the first people who ever walked the planet, where can we go? <laughs> and everybody else would be our children. <laughs> uh, and Ivan Van Sertiman, who was an anthropologist, uh, he passed away a few years ago. And he said, uh, uh, they, my, the Africans left Africa uh, over 250,000 years ago upright. And people, every, every, every continent, I mean, and that's the thing that I want people to understand, upright, all this other stuff here, I mean, all the other stuff we hear about us is not true. But somehow we've we, we, uh, we, we internalized uh, all of this uh, other madness that's really going on. Uh, and, and one of the things I wanted to touch on just uh, a few minutes uh, here before um, we take a break and bring on our guests. I want to spend the um, next few minutes on um, potpourri today, and that's okay. I want to spend a few minutes uh, talking about the escalation of violence in the community, in our community. I mean, in the Black community, and our children. I mean, a lot of these are young people. I mean, and been, what's this about? It's more socializing now to believe that picking up a gun is the right thing to do, to harm somebody you don't even know. Uh, and it's escalating. I mean, three people were shot this weekend, maybe more here in Seattle. I mean, it's like, we don't have that many people here for you to just kind of kill people. But what is this about? And a lot of money has gone into programs. I said, but until you understand the root cause of this, and I talked I talk to a social worker on Saturday. I said, this is violence escalated as a result of integration. I came out of segregation. We didn't have this kind of violence where I lived at. Everybody's, uh, 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 everybody's segregation and Jim Crow was different. But I lived in Goldsboro, all black township, one of the oldest ones that's ever started in, uh, in, in America. We didn't have violence. I mean, I, I, we didn't have a lot of people being harmed. Uh, and, and to see this, I don't know what it's like to be uh, to feel this way that our young people are feeling. And, and, and this has been going on for a generation now, at least since the late, uh, over a generation. Started about in the late uh, uh, 80s, uh, uh, in, the, in the late 80s and early 90s is when it escalated. But I want to just, I'm going to spend the rest of my minutes I, 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 before I bring on my guests uh, uh, talking about May Day. I mean, when I grew up, May Day was an event. And I, I guess it canceled May Day uh, in America, actually during the Cold War. I, uh, I canceled it because I participated in the May Day. I wasn't the May Queen. I could lie and say I was, but I sure was cute. <laughs> uh, planting the maypole. I was cute. Uh, and, I, I, and it was something that we did. And I guess it might have been a pagan holiday or something. It might have come out of Europe a long time ago about spring. And, and I saw a picture about Eleanor Roosevelt with some of the young kids about the May, the, the May, flower, the May, uh, uh, May Day flower baskets. That, uh, and, I, when, and when I was, when I was a, you know, we, we, we actually put flowers down and uh, that type of stuff. Fresh flowers, beautiful flowers. And all the ribbon for the maypole was different spring colors. Uh, and each girl had, a, uh, I don't think the boys did the maypole, though, uh, to my understanding. I don't remember the boys doing the maypole, but um, but I, I did. I mean, and, and I was really cute doing the maypole. I mean, I really was. I mean, you know, I was a cute little girl. 
a um, long, long time ago. And I've got fond memories about May, May Day. And, um, and, and also, we got Council in America because they, they was afraid of the, the workers uniting. That was another reason why it got counseled here in America. And you don't hear about it as much. And now here in Seattle, you have had young people go downtown and kind of tear up stuff. But about 10 or 15 years ago, it was, um, it was a lot of people, that, workers that came together. So, um, so a lot of things have been taken out that we don't know about. And May Day is one of those, uh, May Day is one of those events. And May Day actually was fun. I had fun on May Day. I, like I say, I was really cute. Uh, but I'm gonna decide to end this segment right now and take a break, come back and I have my guests with me. So thank you for listening to the Mother's Justice Show. This is Ram Walden, I'll be right back. Thank you. The Mother's Justice Show is brought to you by H.G. Walden and the Virtues Healing Circles. Join us for Wisdom and Wellness with Reverend Walden, a monthly virtual and in-person healing circle that focuses on community healing and growth. Learn more at virtueshealing.com. That's virtueshealing.com. Also, be sure to join our healing group on Facebook. Again, visit us at virtueshealing.com today. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM, KKNW. It's my, it's, uh, KKNW is my joy to be on the air. You know, I love being on there. I want to bring my guests on. Uh, he's been uh, waiting in, in the waiting room. I uh, absolutely prop. And, and before time, I, I just love that. <laughs> Only attorneys do that. <laughs> That's a training. How you doing, uh, Mr. Matson? Is that right? Is that how you Matthewson. Matthewson. Yes. Yeah, Thank you, yeah. Mr. Matthewson. Yeah. I know I, I actually got that from a basketball coach. He said, <laughs> if, if you can't be on time, be early. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's how I was raised, too. I mean, then I, uh, I was raised. I got I was never late. I got the, I always I got the most dependable award from first grade to 12th grade. And then I was never tardy. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't say that I've always been on time <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that's how I run my life and uh it's just it's just what my core virtues are is to be on time and uh, and to you know uh, that type of thing because I came out of segregation and people had a lot of different training than a lot of people trap that they we, you know you were trained to do certain things <laughs> and expect it so but thank you for saying yes I say I wanted to bring you on today uh uh and I want to give I want to let the people know I want to let my listeners know that you are you're an emeritus professor. You're an attorney. He went to Howard University. You got your degree from Yale. Oh, man, you are, you are an emeritus professor of the law and former co-dean of the University of Mexico School of Law. Oh, and I mean, as and the dean, you chaired the Judicial Section Commission of the state of uh, New Mexico. Proud to join in that facility at New Mexico. Uh, you were practicing a field in a corporate attorney. And you're also, you just, I mean, the most outstanding thing for me is you went to Howard University. <laughs> the Mecca. <laughs> I, I, you know why it's outstanding to me? It's because my he, one of my heroes is that uh, we do a breakfast every year called Thurgood Marshall Breakfast. Uh, uh, and we, we are honoring attorneys. I mean, um, he was one of my, he's one of my heroes. I mean, um, I mean, you know, he took those cases down in Florida. I mean, he set them up. I'm from Florida. Uh, and he set those cases up brilliantly to be able to go to the Supreme Court. I mean, he he just knew. And so anybody that went to Howard and graduated and then went on to become a great attorney like you have, I said, oh, my goodness, he's walking in the shoes. Well, <laughs> my, my favorite heroes. So uh, I, I disappointed some folks at Howard, I think, by going to, to Yale Law School as opposed to Howard Law School. But I, I will say that when I would travel down south while in law school, I, I often found that uh, people were more impressed with Howard than Yale. <laughs> well, you could see how I was. <laughs> I came out of segregation and I, you know, I, I mean, it's our schools that got us through. I mean, everybody else said no, and the schools that got us through. So, but I'm glad you went to Yale. I'm yeah. glad you left. You went there and you came out and I, I and you. And I, and where are you from originally? North Carolina. So I, I grew oh. up in segregation too. Okay, okay. What city in North Carolina? A little town called Tarboro. Okay. That's well, my kids, I know where it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Go ahead and tell me about Tarboro because I got a, I got a story. I got a big story about North Carolina. 
It is, but it's northeastern North Carolina. It was tobacco country. <laughs> and so I, I, what I remember uh, prior to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, I, I remember the movie theaters and they had the colored balcony. We'd sit upstairs. <laughs> uh, uh, some, some people would throw popcorn down below. <laughs> uh, Are you not included? I, I won't no, tell. No, I, I didn't do things like that. <laughs> Uh, the 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 uh, Trailways bus station had the separate waiting rooms. The hospital yes. had the separate waiting That's rooms. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I like to think I, I witnessed the revolution, uh, but didn't know that that's what was happening. Right. But things did start uh, changing. Yeah. yeah. The, those segregated uh, waiting rooms, the I mean, schools, everything. But yeah. I will say with, with integrating the schools, because I first attended white schools under a freedom of choice plan. That was the the first way uh, to mm -hmm. the Brown. And the um that was my mother's choice <laughs> to, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to send us. We had we had no um idea of what to expect. And and then uh, by the time I finished high school, they had been consolidated by court order. Right. So the the a, a transition had begun occurring and what I could expect. And then I went off to Howard. <laughs> Got and, another experience. <laughs> yeah. And and then to Yale after that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I too grew up in segregation. All my teachers was black. I never had a white teacher in my life. I was taught by the late McLeod Mathun. I I got on the strain by Mary McLeod Mathun. So I so I grew up with that. I sung left every voice and sing. I didn't know until eight. I was eighteen when I found out it wasn't the song, but it's still my song. So, <laughs> no, well, Mary McLeod Bethune was my mother's heroine. Oh, okay. So I knew all about Mary McLeod <laughs> yeah. Bethune, and, oh, yeah. and and I'd I've often thought that Mary McLeod Bethune was Title Nine for Black women before that was Title Nine. That's right. That oh, it was. You know, the Negro clubs. Yeah, the Negro the Negro club, something like that. And, yeah. Lift as you climb, and just so many things. Uh, yeah. yeah, yes, and, and so I, I, I'm glad I came out of segregation. It gave me a lot. Uh, and my story from North Carolina is my former husband is from Rocky Mount, mm -hmm. and all of my oh. kids I, I went to Elizabeth City State. Oh yeah, and you, you know who Tarver is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my granddaughter, I, I just I, I, another generation. She graduated yeah. uh, two years ago from mm -hmm. down at at uh, Elizabeth City State. So I've been on that campus many times. I, uh, my youngest son played football uh, down yeah, there, and I yeah. love Elizabeth City. You know, I'm still a Southern girl. I don't care where I go. Yeah. You know, I love my friendliness. I love that. Uh, I, I love North Carolina. What I love about North Carolina, every 12 miles, that's a little city. That's a little town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my father's sisters were Elizabeth City grads. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's a great campus, you know, and you got to go fly in the north and then you got to come through the dismal swamp, man, you know, you know, and the slaves, I dug that out. So, I mean, I know a little history about North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a closet scholar. I'm not, I don't have all the degrees about being a, a, a scholar, but mm -hmm. I love history and I'm, and two transparency. I'm not an integrationist. I think that we gave up more than we gained. Uh, and I think that uh, we lost his mind, that we lost our children's mind. And we have not been able to get their minds back. So, but I live in an integrated world, and so that's okay. how that's how I roll. I mean, I know that every all people, I, I honor all people and work with all people. But we want to talk about you and the work that you've done. And I ask you to come on. I, I call Sue first, and she always gives me a litany of names. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Albuquerque. I did my radio show from there a few years yeah. ago, uh, and I and that's a lovely place. I, I, and I do intend to come. I'm going. I'm hoping to come back this summer, but. I want to come back there, but I asked you to come on to talk about the engine of the consent decree uh, uh, and, and that, uh, you know, uh, you know what brought it on. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, then take a break and then continue that because the deal, the J, don't give you what you think you're going to get, not for us, but I wanted to hear what. what. <laughs> yeah. So so one thing I, I want to say, I, I have a disclaimer uh, that um, my comments are mine. <laughs> They're, they're not the universities. They're not the community coalition that I, I represent. Uh, they are mine and exclusively uh, my views. <laughs> so that's that's my disclaimer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I am a corporate lawyer. 
I, I, I do care and have thought about uh, reform of the criminal justice system for years, had thought about it for years, but I, I found my, my path from Yale into corporate law. So I went to work for a, a large uh, Denver law firm before uh, going to law teaching here at the University of New Mexico. And in the course of teaching here, we have a mandatory clinical program. So every, every student uh, goes to their clinic representing live uh, clients. And I uh, supervise business and tax law cases. I did a variety of cases, but that was my, my primary focus and did a lot of nonprofit formation. And in the course of, of representing, um, uh, helping uh, an organization get started, I met a woman named Jewel Hall and, and she has always been grateful uh, about my me and, and, and my students. And so in, uh, I guess around 2000, I'm not sure exactly when it started because I didn't get involved in 2014, but there had been a slew of uh, police, uh, fatal police shootings uh, in Albuquerque over a short period of time, uh, particularly uh, uh, mentally ill and, and homeless uh, folks. And But uh, Jewel Hall uh, put the... Uh-oh. Uh, wrong one. <laughs> uh, my students are familiar with that call. <laughs> it's, it's probably a daughter trying to get on and listen to the show. <laughs> but uh, she could I, listen online. She could go online to 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 the to the eleven fifty a.m. pick in w. Uh, I, I thought I told her that, but I'll I'll text her while I, while I talk. <laughs> but but Jewel uh, had some close friends here, whose the son was uh, killed, and uh, she uh, put together. I mean, she is a, a, a tireless advocate. Has been involved in the community for years. Uh, she's now over eighty, uh, but uh, she helped organize a coalition, a coalition uh, to try to get the Department of Justice to investigate, and and they were eventually successful. And in 2014, uh, uh, the Department of Justice uh, came out with their findings letter. It was it was a scathing indictment of the Albuquerque Police Department. But they were going to negotiate a consent decree, and and the all the organizations and activists who had been pushing to get uh, DOJ to come in was oh, well, uh, what's our role? What's our role? Uh, in 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 that process because they they didn't tend to, at least they didn't want to be left out of, of, right. of that. And so one of the things that I wound up doing out of that was the listening to this. I, I organized a team of students and I did some community education workshops, explaining the process that would happen. Uh, last uh, in terms of the activists, the, the activists, the biggest call was to have police officers prosecuted. Right. And this, the the process by which uh, DOJ issued that findings letter and was negotiating this consent decree was not in the a criminal statute. That was another part. Uh, the uh, yeah, criminal right. enforcement was another part of the Department of Justice. Right. And, and this was the, the civil rights section. That's right. uh, this was civil litigation. And so there is a federal statute coming out of the Rodney King era uh, uh, from 1994, and it authorized the Department of Justice uh, to seek injunctive relief where it found a police department with a pattern and practice of unconstitutional policing. Right. And and so that was DOJ was making this finding that they, they found that uh, here. The statute does not provide, by its terms, anything about community involvement in the, in the process. No. It, one of the things about it, it is also it is not a punitive statute. No. So uh, uh, people wanted accountability. So they wanted that, that, that criminal prosecution. But this statute doesn't call for that. It, it, this injunctive relief that entitles DOJ to uh, go and get a court to say stop. Right. That they, I want you to stop this pattern of practice. 
Right. And, but we're not going to penalize it. What right. we're going to do is make you stop doing it anymore, and, which was hard for a lot of people to come to, to grips with because it, it, it wasn't about accountability right. and, and just understanding that that's what it would, would do. And so DOJ, it, it, it doesn't take these cases to, to trial necessarily, but it, it, it winds up negotiating these consent decrees. And uh, and they're called court-approved settlement agreements, which have the effect of a consent decree. But in essence, they get the city uh, to agree without admitting that they did anything wrong, uh, to to agree to uh, to stop it and to take uh, take certain measures that will prevent it from happening again. I mean, that's the, that's the idea behind it. And and so my uh, students and I did these these workshops to explain. Uh, what would happen to the statute, but we were also looking at the process by which the community could have involvement, they could, they could participate uh, in, in what was would happen. So one of the things that the there was a city council. So at some point, the the city, I mean, the uh, DOJ and the mayor were going to reach an agreement, and and that agreement would go before the city council. But one of the questions that came up in our workshops. When somebody asks, wait, 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 consent, whose consent? Uh, I'm not consenting. <laughs> whose consent? Uh, well, but that's just it. It's the city, it's the city's consent. That's right. Uh, um, uh, as, and, and, the, and the city was the mayor. That's right. Uh, so it, it was the mayor's uh, consent. That's and, right. and here, I can't say for other cities, but here, after the mayor and the Department of Justice uh, reached an agreement. The agreement was then presented to the city council for endorsement. That's right. <laughs> uh, but not just the, uh, uh, approval, just the, the endorsement. So the, but since it was going to go to the council, any proceeding in the council, because the council provides avenues for public participation, that there was a place to, to participate. Uh, but the other thing um, um, that happened as I, as I recall, uh, Portland and perhaps some other cities as well uh, had provided for a procedure called a fairness hearing. They, they bar, it's something that is used in class action cases before a court approves a settlement, uh, that it has a hearing on the fairness and reasonableness uh, of a settlement. And, and so that's something that, that we asked for here, and it's something that the city and DOJ asked the court to do uh, when they when they filed the the complaint. Uh, but as and but as a part of that, they would uh, they would uh, going to allow uh, organizations and folks represented by lawyers uh, to participate in that fairness hearing. Uh, so you had to find a lawyer who would represent you for free. And, and who was willing to file an, an amicus brief. Right. And, and so I went from uh, doing this community, these community education workshops to representing uh, folks in federal court. Now, now what had happened, I went, so I, I started out those workshops with students, and, but then when it came to the fairness hearing, I, I put together a, a, a team of lawyers a couple of former students of mine, uh, one, uh, Leon Howard, who uh, left us to go work for the ACLU, which was a part of another co a Mickey coalition. Uh, and then uh, uh, Antonio Maestas, uh, who was a representative and is now a state senator, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Stephen Torres, whose son was killed. So that uh, we uh, represent, uh, represent the community coalition and and I'd like to uh, d describe them as the the coalition of the disenfranchised. <laughs> um, and our, our our big issue was the findings letter uh, in terms of this pattern and practice of unconstitutional constitutional policing only focused on, essentially on the Fourth Amendment use of force. It 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 did not focus on the Fourteenth and and racial bias. That's right. And 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 so the the community coalition, as we are known, uh, that was our big position. We wanted to try to get race 
into the final uh, consent decree. Uh, we were unsuccessful in, in large part, but one of the things the parties did agree to do was to collect demographic data uh, that uh, would allow the monitor to report on in the the, the monitor's outcomes assessment. Uh, so it's it's uh, demographic data along with uses of force, where they occurred, um, uh, types of use of force. I mean, all of uh, that uh, would be reported and and assessed uh, by the uh, quantitative and qualitative assessments by the the monitor. It's also true that they in the early intervention system, uh, which is now uh, I think just up and running. It's a computerized database uh, that would collect the same type of information that they could use in supervising officers, but it too required the collection of this demographic uh, data by incident uh, sufficient uh, to assess bias. Right. Uh, so, so, uh, so that was as, as uh, all that we were able to. Obtained, but there's no prohibition. So if if APD uh, were to engage in discriminatory policing, it might be illegal, it might be unconstitutional, but it's not a violation of the consent decree. Uh, wow, you know what I I you know similar similar similar. Let's take a break and come back and finish and continue this side. Uh, this uh, uh, <laughs> the DOJ in. <laughs> I just got to take a break. We'll be right back. You listen to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. The Mother's Justice Show is brought to you by H.G. Walden and the Virtues Healing Circles. Join us for Wisdom and Wellness with Reverend Walden, a monthly virtual and in-person healing circle that focuses on community healing and growth. Learn more at virtueshealing.com. That's virtueshealing.com. Also, be sure to join our healing group on Facebook. Again, visit us at virtueshealing.com today. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. I want to bring my guest on again, Mr. Al- uh, Alfred uh, Masterson. Uh, uh, he's a great attorney, uh, a great uh, a professor, a great organizer. Oh, uh, and I hear he's a, a great with expectancy uh, to be a grandfather soon. So he got a lot of great things going on. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Ah, oh, man, the DOJ. I mean, um, I'll just say what I said off off the air. I I think most people think when they come into town that the police shooting is going to go down. So our level of co- accountability, grassroots people, a level of accountability. We think about police shootings going down and pe- officers being uh being arrested, I mean, being, you know, ha- having some accountability. And so so that accountability does not jive what the Justice Department uh, uh, has in mind. And I think it leaves some people in the community uh, uh, kind of like, you know, I mean, Oakland has a bad, I mean, most of the places people, they have a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, not only is it a lot of money, but uh, it's, it's just it's just not, we, it's not, nobody actually explained to you what it's going to be. I mean, because we didn't have that explanation. We I actually thought, <laughs> oh, gee whiz. But anyway, I, I, they're, yeah. they're filed in court. And so, I mean, same thing is happening in your, in your community, but you have a different. So I'm going to let you continue. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not as, as pessimistic as, as you are, but I will say it didn't take me long uh, to reach the conclusion uh, that this, uh, this um, statute uh, really was an avenue for Department of Justice to come in and quiet things down. That's that, right. That's that's right. But it's another statute they could have used. But I yeah. think they would have to. I have to say that the police department had, had figured out a way to decertify them, and I don't think they're willing to use them. I don't think they're willing to bring every tool they have because they need them in the long run. I mean, so they're partners to us on some long in the long run. I mean, so they're not willing to do what's really hard to correct the but situation. Have, uh, department of Justice, uh, I think, has to be pushed. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And so one of the things, actually, I was, uh, it's been almost nine years now for hours. And so I've spent nine years sort of studying uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this and I noticed. You'll be an emeritus, emeritus professor. I'm already emeritus. Another <laughs> <laughs> one. Uh, uh, so one I of the. should bring you in before they yeah. decide to bring in the so, DOJ. 
So I was I was I, you know, I was new to police reform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so people that I, I the organizations and activists who have been dealing with this for years, long before I became involved. <laughs> Um, and and I what I told them I am a part of the system. I am committed to making the system work for you. I and 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 just been tireless about that. And but as time would go on, uh, they would ask, "You still committed?" <laughs> uh, and so. It has been frustrating, but I, but I am still committed, and and I'm studying the process. One of the things that I learned was from, at the very beginning, uh, our coalition, in addition to to wanting to address racial bias, basically what we're pushing, we wanted a cultural transformation in the police department. We right. want a, a transformation that people could touch and feel. Uh, um, uh, and but it was we would we would get agreement in words, uh, but it takes time. And 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 finally, after eight years of of it takes time, um, I just started saying, "Wait a minute! It will take the time we give it." And and what I what I want to see happen is a time frame. What is it? Looking at where uh, the city is now, and they and they have made uh, strides toward uh, com- full compliance. These technical full compliance and uh, that technical see, but it, we it, people, it, we the grassroots it, folks it, didn't know that. See, I mean, yeah. the people I've been doing this work too for a long time. We didn't know it was technical. Yeah, yeah. so that's something. <laughs> so, um, so they 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 made progress in that way. So it's made a difference, but the but even that was slow. And what I wanted to say, you can you can't get the culture transformation until they get to full technical compliance. And that the rate we were going, it was going to be another four to six years or longer before they got to technical compliance. So to get to culture transformation, we need um, full technical compliance, but it has to happen a lot sooner. Yes. And and yes. and and so what I want it was time frames, but each part of the consent decree, not just something that we hope will occur at some point in the future. Let's put some real deadlines on these are the things that have to be done. Uh when they will be done. Let's and let's play it out to the end and let's do it in two years. Let's let's get to that point in, in two years. And we still have to focus on culture transformation with that. And so then we're going to have to do some things, again, specifically with respect to culture transformation. It will not automatically occur because you have technical compliance. So you got next in terms of figuring out what are the things, what should that culture transformation look like? And, and that's one of the things that uh, we are focused on now, articulating what is the, are the specifics of the culture transformation we would like to see. And when I when I raise that, I keep uh, people keep telling me look to, to what happened in Camden. Um, uh, and and the the Camden use of force policy is indeed uh, interesting because it begins focusing on the sanctity of life. Wow, right. Uh, and mm-hmm. and and that um, lethal force uh, is the last resort. It's not sort of a, it's not just wow. like de- de- escalation, but the last resort. So. Uh, but finding the language of the culture transformation. Did the shootings go down in Canding, though? With I that? think that the things that the, the the yes, I think the crime shooting and things I think have gone down in Camp. I can't swear about that, but I believe that okay. it has. Okay. okay. Uh, and, but I'm told that was I kept hearing. Look to what happened in Camden. Okay. Uh, then there's this. Then there's there's more to it, but the words are 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 important. I'll check it out. Of, yeah. uh, being able to articulate what the culture, that culture transformation is, and then figuring out how you do it. 
Well, I always said that, that we had we got to meet the status and we had we did get to intervene and we intervened on the use of force and we said that we thought that everything they should de-escalate. The escalation should be the first thing on their mind, and I can't remember all of it right now. Yeah. But the Attorney General did not adopt our statement uh, 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 that that is our policy for the police department, uh, based on uh, our, our our involvement with the with yeah. the uh, with the Community Police Commission. So we were able to we, that was one impact we were yeah. able to make. <laughs> but although, but I, I think something focused on the sanctity of life goes beyond the escalation. It's, and you're right, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that you. So I mean, so so, but you but you have to so from the corporate law side of when we do a deal, that's well, we start thinking about all the pieces that we have to do. Yes, and and often when you have a takeover, there's going to be a culture transformation, and they have thought about how they're going to achieve that. We, so you have one company acquiring another, and it it has its own culture. The company they're acquiring has its own culture, but the acquiring culture uh, company is going to impose its culture. Right. And they think about and they think about how to do it, and it has to be that same type of thinking when it comes to policing. Uh, you know, I like that. I really do. I think I think that's a great idea. I mean, uh, before we go out, before we're done, I'll tell you about what the chief is doing here. Yeah. I, I to to try to get a culture change, but I think that's a great idea because I mean we haven't had and nothing has worked. I mean, dead bodies, dead bodies. They get they get a three month vacation, get the job back, and then they, they get all their money back. I mean, so not many things have worked. But but let me tell you why DOJ and the statute is important with this, uh, because what it gives you leverage during the time it's in place. If you uh, and this is, uh, it does. So it it's because um, there is this court order in place. Yeah. Uh, and and even in terms of trying to get to technical compliance. It gives you leverage, okay. And and that was that's a fear. There's a, there's a real fear here. What will happen once uh, they have attained that full compliance and have sustained it for two years? The the um, I, we hear often from the police and others saying we'd like DOJ out of here. Yeah, that's what we're saying here in Seattle. And, but but the the um, the here. But here's the thing. The consent decree will come to an end. Yes. But the Constitution will not. No, that's true. There, Thank there goodness. Still, all right, Thank there goodness. will still be a constitutional obligation. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, limits imposed on the police. But right. while that consent decree is in place, in addition to the Constitution, you have a federal court order in place. And and in terms of focusing on trying to get compliance with it, we're not just thinking about the technical compliance, but the culture transformation that you want at the same time. Right. So, but this again, so I've learned something over the over the past. It's been almost nine years now. <laughs> on this. Wow. Yeah, we've and, got about four more minutes. So, uh, but I want you to at least uh, kind of get to how the people are feeling about this. I mean, I, I you know, are, are they are they in line with, with it? I mean, Seattle had, Seattle had filed before I, I, I in May before uh, George Floyd, and then they withdrew their filing. We filed in court against them and said that we, uh, they, they had already had some sustainment period. Then they, then now, you know, with, with what happened here in Seattle, it was all over the news and stuff. So, but now, you know, I mean, people are just in. That we're not going to get anything better. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's a there's a lot of uh, frustration on the part of the, the Amiki, um, and because again, it's been slow moving toward technical compliance, uh, even slower moving toward a culture transformation at all. With uh, all deliberate speed, it took me a long and, time to know what that means. <laughs> and and um, a sense that we haven't gotten. Uh, we I mean got nearly what we need to get out of this. Uh, right. Frustration that that DOJ has has not been tougher on the city That's right. That's enforcing right. it. That's right. I mean, we have the same sentiments uh, here. I told them that they're leaving us worse than they found us because when they did come, we had a, we had at least a police force, although they didn't have anything to do with that. I mean, but all the police officers who left with the defund movement uh, and of that, and see the council doing what they did, uh, we are left without that. Uh, without but but quickly, this new chief here uh, uh, has started a, a program called Before the Badge, 
Mm -hmm. I'm a part of that program. New cadets uh, come out and beat the community. They go from community to community, they go to community organizing. I mean, events, they were on an event that was uh, happening on Saturday. Uh, and I think that's going to wind up being a national model because really and truly you're bringing in new people. And so the culture change might come from new people as these other people exit out. But, uh, and so that, that's one of the things that's happening here. And the DOJ didn't have nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that, that's one of the lessons I've learned in talking to uh, organizations that have been involved with this for years and trying to shape policy. Uh, one of the things they've said to me is that the court process is, to them, is not as important as the involvement with the policymaking process so each department has a policy-making process. That's right. That's right. In which the community can uh, participate in, and that's uh, where you can exactly. really force that culture change. I agree, because you know, from from you from the time you've been doing this, you know, if the policy is not updated and if officers is not trained to the updated policy, then uh, it would be no discipline all over America. If the policy, if the policy is not updated and the officer is not trained, I don't care. It's not going to be any discipline. You know. And so policy is really important. I agree to that. Yeah. But there is something else I, I want to just add about DOJ, what I, what I think uh, should happen. So one, uh, it shouldn't take sort of this consent decree process for DOJ to get involved. Right. And it may take the change in the law, but I, I think with all the data that DOJ gets from these law enforcement agencies now, that it can develop a flagging system. That's right. I'll agree. And, okay. and 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 could act without uh, regard to incidents that we've got that's right. that's a right. triggering that's incident. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah. it, that it just it, it, it flags them and say, oh, right. we're intervening yeah. now. Well, yeah, right. Because, you know, Memphis had a lot of flags. They could have went into Memphis if that was going on. Mm -hmm. Memphis had a lot of flags. I mean, had people dying in custody. I mean, it was a lot of flags stuff going on in Memphis because I've been studying Memphis because Memphis is Memphis is named from the first uh, uh, pyramid in, uh, in in ancient Africa, and uh, so it has a lot of significance if people understood that connection. So I've been interested in Memphis a lot. So, um, but just you know, this has been interesting. I'm so glad that you were able to come on and and talk about what's happening there. And I just like I said, I love Albuquerque, so I'll be coming back. So when I get to get there, I'll make sure you know about it. But I really appreciate you. I mean, what, how, how you methodically, I mean, you, you're absolutely a great attorney, you know, I mean, it's like, hey, trying to get that culture change and all of that. So, um, and you still, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of us on the other side don't believe we're going to ever get anything from the, from the good men. <laughs> well, you know, and I was on like a conference back in 2000 and a professor was saying, because I went to corporate law and he went to tax law and he said, maybe we made this move too soon that, that we, uh, we thought we could get away from civil rights, that we had, uh, we could do this something else. He said, well, maybe it was too soon. Yeah, yep. I would think Thurgood Marshall would say that. I really yeah. do. Yeah. And, and so um, I've now, uh, after 40 years, I guess it wasn't quite 40 years when, when I started this, like 32 years, uh, I um, have sort of gotten involved with something yeah. that perhaps I should have been involved with sooner. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for being a guest on Mother's Justice Show. All thank right, you, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We'll listen to Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM, KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. See you next week. You know, I love being on there. <laughs>